Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. We're continuing, of course, our study of the Gospel of Luke. And Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. Now, we've been seeing that. He has come to the earth to do the will of the Father. He has come to die and rise again to pay for sin and to conquer death. As we've been studying this great book, of course, we're seeing that Jesus is almost to Jerusalem. He left the northern part of Israel. He left Galilee. He's coming to the capital city. Why? So he can die for us, pay for sin, and rise again. He is the Savior of the world. He is the substitute and the sacrifice for us. As he nears Jerusalem, we have been seeing that he's done a great deal of teaching because time is short. There are things that he wants his disciples to know. In these last chapters, we've seen him teach all kinds of things about salvation, discipleship, about entering the kingdom. In this section, he's been emphasizing salvation. And he's been saying it's not by works, it is not by what we do, but it's simply by faith. In fact, the last time we talked about childlike faith, we saw that we come to Jesus Christ and we trust in him and him alone and we have eternal life. We even saw the, the story of where the, the rich young ruler came to Jesus. And he was thinking that his good works would somehow get him to heaven. And Jesus Jesus taught, and we saw last week, we ended with this, it is impossible for a person, for a human being to save themselves. It's impossible. But what we realize is what is impossible with men, it's impossible for a person to save themselves. It is possible with God because he is the one that saves us through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the provision that God has sent that all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Well, this morning, as we continue, of course, as you know, we go verse by verse, passage by passage. We get into verse basically 28, 29, and 30. It's a short little section, but we're going to deal with a different subject because Peter raises a question to Jesus. And the whole idea is talking about living for Christ. It deals with rewards. It deals with discipleship. In fact, we realize that God has a promise. He promises rewards for faithful service. Do you realize that if we serve God now... He will reward us and bless us both now and for all eternity. So we're going to look at that. We're going to talk about living for Christ, serving Him now, the whole idea of rewards and service. So there's a lot. May we gain from our study this morning. Well, one of my favorite movies, uh, it's not really biblical or theological, but it's a good movie. It's filled with dreams. And it's the guy named Ray Kinsella. You know, he loves baseball. And so he takes his farmland in Iowa, and part of his best land, he, he chops it all down and makes a baseball field. And he's doing that because he's got this vision or something. And all of a sudden, these players from years ago, eras ago, Shoeless Joe Jackson and the White Sox come, and somehow they're connected with Ray's father. But anyway, they're playing on the field, and he just loves it. But things are not going the way Ray wanted them to go. So he goes over to talk to Shoeless Joe Jackson and he says this he says I have done all that you've asked never once have I done anything for me never once have I even asked what's in it for me and Shoeless Joe says what's your point Ray and Ray says what's in it for me and that's the truth and this morning Peter comes to Jesus and says we left it all what's in it for us what's in it for us what's in it for me what's in it for the disciples we've left our jobs our families What's in it for us? This is a question that all of us in this room who not only know Jesus Christ as Savior, but are who is seeking to live for Him, we can ask the same question. What's in it for us? We want our lives to count for Christ. We see Jesus as He answers Peter, and He deals with the idea of service and discipleship and rewards, and it's great truths that we need to know. May we be encouraged 
and challenged from this passage this morning. There's a lot there. Let's begin. Jesus is near Jerusalem. We're going to see, really, when we get into chapter 19, just about almost to the end of 19, we're going to see Jesus comes into the city riding in on a donkey. This is the final time that he comes offering himself as the king to Israel. He comes in fulfilling Zechariah 9.9 as he rides in on a donkey. People are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It won't be but a few days later they'll be saying, crucify him. But that's a little bit later. We see this morning, Peter is talking to Jesus and he raises the question concerning rewards. And so this section is going to deal with rewards and discipleship. And so the goal is that as we look at this, and it's only three verses, but there's a lot there. Let me break down the passage for you. I want you to see it. First of all, uh, the idea, we're going to see the, the idea of rewards. That's what the issue is. Verses 28, 29, and 30. It's a very short passage today. But we see Peter declares his discipleship. He says, we've left it all. We see then Jesus talks about the sacrifice that's involved in discipleship. And then he talks about rewards now. You might say blessing and rewards now and in eternity. And so there's some great things there. Now, before we get into this passage, because there's a lot there, we need to understand truth concerning two key areas. I want you to get this. Here's the two key areas. Discipleship and rewards. That's found in those three passages. In fact, if you look at those three passages, you say, man, we may get out early today because there's only three passages. Well, don't count on that, okay? Because uh, it, there's a lot here. But I want you to understand, before we can get into those verses, we really need to talk about those two areas, discipleship and rewards. Now, oftentimes there's a lot of confusion dealing with discipleship and this whole issue and misunderstanding of rewards. There are a lot of people who do not make the distinction between salvation and discipleship. We know that salvation is a gift and discipleship costs us. People don't understand that. And when they don't and when they mix them up and they make discipleship and salvation the same thing, we have a confused message on salvation. What does it take to have eternal life? There's also the idea of rewards. For some people, when you talk about if you live for Jesus Christ, he's going to reward you you, their first thought is, that seems sort of selfish to me. I mean, I'm going to live for Jesus and, and I live for him so he can give me rewards. Well, he tells us to do that. But some people are confused and they think that salvation itself is the reward. You live for Jesus and he'll reward you by giving you salvation. No, that's, that's confused. So that's why this morning we want to look, uh, before we get into the passage, at discipleship and rewards. And we want to see how they fit together. Let's start first with the issue of discipleship. Okay, and under discipleship, two things I want you to think about. First of all, we want to see the contrast between salvation and discipleship. They are different. They're not the same. And number two, we want to talk about being a disciple. What does it take for us to be a disciple? Well, let's look first at the whole idea of the contrast between salvation and discipleship. There is a contrast. There is confusion. A lot of people don't make the distinction. I want you to understand, first of all, that salvation is a gift. It costs us absolutely nothing. Jesus Christ came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again, and offers to us the gift of eternal life simply by faith. It is God so loved the world that us that he gave his only begotten son and he gives us eternal life we are saved by faith as a gift by grace that's why ephesians 2 8 9 is so powerful for by grace you have been saved through faith not of yourselves it's the gift of god if you could do anything for it it's not a gift 
So we understand that salvation is a gift. It's not works. It's not our goodness. It's not what we do. It's not what we promise to do. It's not what we keep on doing. It is simply by faith in Jesus Christ as a gift to us. Now I want you to understand that discipleship is different. Discipleship costs us. Salvation is a gift, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, but discipleship costs us. And we won't look back there right this second at Luke, but in Luke 14, he talks about that. He talks about that whole idea that if you must take up your cross and deny yourself and follow him, that's to be a disciple. Now, you see the difference? You don't do anything for salvation. You take the gift of eternal life. But for discipleship, you die to yourself. You take up your cross and you follow Jesus Christ. So there is a difference. It's not a gift, but it costs us. It doesn't deal with salvation. It deals with service. So understand Salvation is a gift and cost us absolutely nothing. It's by faith and discipleship cost us our lives. It's by faithfulness in that sense. Now, the second thing I want you to think about is on being a disciple. How do we become a disciple? What do we do? We realize salvation costs us nothing, but discipleship costs us our lives. And a great verse is Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's one of the verses that's what we read a while ago when we were doing that uh, responsive reading. He said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Being a disciple, as you say to God, God, I want you to take my life, and I want you to use my life for your glory. I give it to you. I die to myself. I take up my cross. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live for you. So being a disciple costs us. Now, it doesn't cost us anything. To be, a, to be a Christian. It doesn't cost us anything to have salvation. It doesn't cost us anything to have eternal life and say, I'm, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to be with Jesus forever. But it cost us to be a disciple. It cost you your life. I beseech you, brethren, I beg you, brethren, Paul writes to the Romans, I beseech you, brethren, to offer your lives as living sacrifices. Offer our lives. In Luke 14... Uh, here's what uh, Jesus says. He says, whoever does not, this is 14:27. whoever does not carry his own cross, that means die to yourself, and come after me, follow me, cannot be my disciple. You understand that the word disciple is the Greek word mathetes, which means the learner, the follower. A disciple is one who is following and learning. See, a believer is, is one who believes in Jesus and has eternal life. A disciple is one who says, I want to follow him. I want to live for him. I want to learn from him. I want to serve him. So to be a disciple is going to cost you. Now, I, I would hope and pray, and, and that the goal is this, that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ becomes a disciple. I trusted Jesus Christ when I was 19. I did not become a disciple till I was 26. After I trusted Christ, if you just said to me, you think you're going to heaven? I said, I know I'm going to heaven. I have eternal life. Jesus Christ says, whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. When I was 26 is when I realized that I wanted my life to count for Christ, that I should serve him, that I should live for him. And so I actually did Romans 12. I said, Lord, I give you my life. I offer it as a sacrifice to you. I'll go anywhere you want me to do. I'll go anywhere you want me to go, do anything you want me to do. I want my life to count for you. That's discipleship, and it cost me my life. And there are many of you in this room who know exactly what I'm talking about because you've not only trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you have said to him, I want my life to count for you, and you have become a disciple. That's the goal and the plan. The dream is that everyone not only would trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, but be a disciple. The Great Commission is to make disciples. That's evangelism and training. We go out and lead people to Christ and train them and equip them. You can't do that unless you're a disciple. You can't make disciples unless you are a disciple. 
That's the key. So, first thing I want you to realize is there's a contrast between salvation and discipleship, and discipleship costs us our lives, and, and that's what you do. Now, the second big issue is the idea of rewards. Now, rewards are things that are given to us. It ties in with service. In fact, as you faithfully serve God, He's going to reward you. Rewards are something earned. First Corinthians chapter 9 talks about running the race so that you get the prize. Now, Paul is saying this. He's saying, we want you to live in such a way that God will reward you. He uses the analogy of the Olympic Games. He says, you know, when people run in a race, all run, but only one gets the prize, and the prize is some little reef thing that they put on their head, and it, and it dies. It doesn't last very long. He said, we all run in the race. We can all get the prize, and our prize never wears out. It's eternal rewards with Jesus Christ. And so the goal for us is that we run the race so we can get the prize, that we get the rewards. So we live in such a way. Now, I want you to see something. Hold your place in Luke 18 and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, okay? So you got over there to Acts and Romans and First and Second Corinthians and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> We're just going to look at one verse just because of time, and I want you to see it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it talks about getting rewards. Do you understand, as you're turning there, do you understand that one day, all of us who know Christ as Savior, you will stand before Jesus Christ to be rewarded? Let me read the passage to you, and I want you to understand this. It's fantastic. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, the Bible says bad. The word literally means worthless. We'll come back to it in just a minute. He says this, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There's going to be a time that every believer will stand before Christ. Now look what it says. For we must all appear, that's us, every one of us, before the judgment seat of Christ. Now when you see the word judgment seat of Christ, some people go, oh, judgment. Oh man, I'm going to stand before God and he's going to go, ah, you lied there, you did this there. When you were 14, you did this. When you were 37, you did this. I want you to understand, that's not what's going to happen. Every sin that you have ever done and ever will do has already been placed on Jesus Christ. He bore in His body our sins when He was on the cross. Isaiah 53. He's already paid for them all. 1 Peter 2.24. He bore in His body our sins. So all the sins of, of us, they've been placed on Christ. They're paid for. We will never stand before God for sin because it's already been placed on Christ. He's paid the penalty. When we stand before Jesus Christ, it will be based on our works, our service, how we lived for Him. That's why He says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The word judgment is a Greek word bema b-e-m-a and it means rewarding stand one of these days you're going to stand before jesus and it's going to be a time of rewards now notice what it goes on to say we will all stand before the judgment seat of christ that each one may be recompensed the word recompense means give back he's going to give back he's going to reward for the deeds in the body for what we have done here According to what he's done, whether good or bad. Now, the word bad there means worthless. He says, if you've done good, meaning in the power of the Holy Spirit, you've lived for Christ, your life is counted for him, and you've served him, he's going to reward you. As a believer, if you haven't served him, if you hadn't lived for him, you're not going to be rewarded. It'll be called worthless. Um, before I got married, I, I never cooked. and, and one, I never cooked, and I didn't know much about food. But I'm, one time I remember I got this banana, okay? And I put it in the shelf, and, and I forgot about it. 
Okay? And, and, I, and I didn't ever cook, so I didn't hardly ever go in the kitchen anyway. But I remember one day going in the kitchen going, what in the world does that smell? And I opened that up, and you know what? It didn't look like a banana anymore. It looked like a, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't a banana. And anyway, that Greek word, worthless, means rotten fruit. If you do not live for Jesus Christ, when you stand before Him, you're not going to be judged for your sin. You're going to be judged for how you lived. And, and did you serve Him? And did you live in the power of the Holy Spirit? And did your life count for Him? And if it didn't, it'll be like rotten fruit. You just won't get any rewards. So the bottom line is understand that when you live for Christ now and you say to Him, I want my life to count for you. You want to be a disciple of Christ. You want to stand for Him. One day when you stand before Him, He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because that's the key. It's faithfulness. That's the key. Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says, Each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So one day, every one of us in this room who know Christ, you're going to stand before Jesus, has nothing to do with sin, has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with rewards. If you have said to God, I want my life to count for you, I want to be a disciple, I want to serve you, I want to use the gifts, talents, and abilities you've given me, I want to live for you, when you stand before him, he's going to say, well done. If you haven't, it's going to be like rotten fruit. It'd be, it'd be nothing. It, you won't be rewarded. So the goal is that we live for him and we serve him. In fact, 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, brethren, is required of stewards to be found faithful. That's the key. Go ahead and turn back to Luke chapter 18. And as you're turning back there, the two things I want you to think about that we've seen is this. Go ahead to the next. The two things we've seen, two areas, we've talked about discipleship and rewards. For those of us who follow Jesus or follow Christ, we offer our lives in service. That's discipleship. It is, it is a great contrast for salvation. Salvation doesn't cost us anything. Discipleship costs us our lives. If we live for Him, we serve Him, then we'll be rewarded. As we have served God, He will reward us. What I hope and pray for myself, what I hope and pray for each of you, is that not only have you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and it cost you nothing and you got the gift of eternal life, but that you have decided that your life is going to count for Christ and that you're going to live for Him. And this is a challenge for you because it's not easy because you're giving up your life. You're dying to yourself. You're taking up your cross and you say, I'm going to live for Christ. And from this point on, I'll go wherever He wants me to go. I'll do whatever He wants me to do. I want my life to count for Him. And one day when you stand before Him, He's going to say, Well done, faithful servant. Here are the rewards. We're going to see it in a couple of weeks. We'll get over into chapter 19 and 20 where Jesus actually gives the parable and he talks about the guy who he gives ten talents to and when he, or five talents and when he comes back he's got or ten or five. He gives, got even more and what's doubled it and Jesus comes back and says, wow. He says, great job, faithful servant. Inherit these kingdom, these cities. There's going to be rewards not only now. There's going to be rewards in the future. There's going to be rewards for all eternity. And it's going to be deal, dealing with our relationship with him. So it's, it's great stuff. So two things, discipleship and rewards. Let's see what happens because Peter's going to come to Jesus. Look at verse 28 of Luke 18. Peter said, Behold, we have left our own. Now my Bible has the word homes in italics, which means it's not really there. But it says this, Behold, we have left our own home, homes and followed you. Peter says this, We have left. And the word we there is referring back to his disciples. 
They've been with Jesus from the beginning. They, they're disciples. They've left their jobs, their families. You remember when Jesus walked by and he saw uh, a couple of them, uh, Peter and, and, and Andrew, and they were fishing, and James and John, and they were fishing, and he saw them, and he said, looked at them and said, come follow me. And they dropped all the stuff and they followed him. I don't want, that wasn't their salvation. They had been saved long before that. They had already been with Jesus when he turned the water to wine in Cana of Galilee. This happened later. They went back to work and Jesus called them and said, I want you to come be my disciples, which is to follow me. So they not only had believed in Jesus, but then they became disciples of Christ to follow him. And so Peter says, behold, we've left everything. We left our home. And literally in the Greek it says we've left our own. We've left our things. We've left all our things. And we followed you. They took up the cross. They died to themselves. And they followed Jesus Christ. And my prayer for all of us is that we do that, that we have trusted in Jesus Christ, and that we'll offer our lives. Now, Matthew 19 adds something to this. It's the same passage, just told just a little bit different, but it adds, it says, Peter not only said, Behold, we've left all and we followed you, he goes on and says, What is there for us? What is there for us? He's saying, What's in it for us? We've, we've given up everything to follow you and to live for you, What's in there for us? And the question to be for all of us in this room who have believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, and then you have said, I want my life to count for you, what's in it for you? We've already seen there's going to be rewards. Notice how Jesus answers. Verse 29, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come, eternal life. We'll talk about what that means in just a minute. Notice what he does. He says, truly, I say to you. Now, you've heard me say this many times. Anytime Jesus says, truly, sometimes he'll say, truly, truly. That's the Hebrew word. Actually, it's written Greek there, but it's transliterated from the Hebrew. It's the word A-M-E-N, which is the word amen, which means truth. And how he says, truth. Truly, listen to what I got to say. He said, truly I say to you, which we'd always say as Jesus is saying, now, Barry, listen, I'm going to tell you something very important. There's no one who has left their house or their wife or their brothers or their parents or their children for the kingdom's sake. They're going to get everything. They're going to get twice as much. They're going to get many times more as much now and in the future. So he says this, if you live for me, there's going to be great rewards. Now, when he says, left house or mothers or brothers or parents or children and all of that, you know, when Peter said it, he said, we've left all our things. That's how Peter put it. Jesus said, no, you've done more than that. He, Jesus goes back to relationships. And he says, those who have left their house, that's their homes, their wives, their brothers, their parents, their children, for the sake of the kingdom, they're going to be rewarded. Now, I want you to understand something. He is not saying, if you're married, you say, I'm leaving my wife to go serve God. That's not what he's saying. Because the Bible tells us the opposite. The Bible tells us, the husband, you love your wife as Christ loved the church. You're the provider, protector. You take care of her. It doesn't tell us to say, I got my kids here, but I'm supposed to leave them to go serve God. No, he doesn't. He says, parents, teach your children, train them up. What he's saying here is there are many people who never get married, never have children, give up so many things to go serve God. There are people that I've known in the years that I've been here, in almost the 23 years, that there are people come through here, young people, they get on fire for Christ, they decide they're going to be a missionary, they leave their mamas and daddies. They say, I may never get married, but I'm going over this part of the world to tell the truth of Jesus Christ. There are many people who give up so many different things 
to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Every one of us in this room, if you say, I'm going to be a disciple, you're giving up your life. You're saying, I want my life to count for you, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go. And so Jesus says, for people who have given it up for the sake of the kingdom of God, in which one of the other passages says, for my sake, if we seek to live for Christ, notice what he says, they're going to receive, and he puts it in the negative, there is no one who will not receive, and they will receive, many times as much at this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Look what he says they're going to receive, many times as much. Many times as much as what? That's what they give up. See, when you give up and say, I, I don't, I'm just not going to care about that. I just give it up to live for Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to give you many more times than what you give up. And you, you give up your life, he's going to give you something so much greater. God's rewards are so much greater than anything that we give up. Now, he says something that uh, we got to think about, okay? He says, they will receive many times as much at this time, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now he looks, he says, both now and in the future. Do you realize that when you choose to live for Jesus Christ, now we've all talked about one day you're going to stand before him, he's going to reward you. He says in his passage, not only will there going to be future rewards, there's going to be blessing and things even now as you live for Christ. And so I want you to think about the, the now and the age to come. Let's think about the now. What do we get now? Well, there's blessings when you live for Jesus Christ. When you say, I want my life to count for you, Psalm 1 says you're going to be like a tree planted by the water and you'll have fruit and blessings. John 10, 10 says, I came that you might have life and you might have it what? More abundantly. You're going to have an abundant life. The life that you live as one who lives for Jesus Christ is so much greater than anything you could imagine. Now, some of you in this room know exactly what I'm talking about because you've given up your life for service for Jesus Christ and, and you already said, you could say, it's the greatest life ever. Some of you don't have a clue of what we're talking about. Because you're a believer, but you've never lived for Christ. You've never said to Christ, I want my life to count for you. You don't understand the blessings now as you live for Jesus Christ. He says, you live for me, there'll be blessings now. And then, in the age to come... He says eternal life. And that may confuse you a little bit because you say, wait a minute, I, I thought you get eternal life by faith. You do. But I want you to understand something. There's something you got to grasp. When he uses the term eternal life, eternal life has two meanings. It has to, they have to look at the context to see how it is. Eternal life many times means a time of life. In other words, a time. Eternal life means forever. But it also has an idea of quality of life. Because in this passage, he's not talking about serving me and you get eternal life. That's not the reward. He's saying serving me and you're going to have a quality of life for all eternity. Let's talk about it for just a second. Let's think about the first one, which is just the time. When, so oftentimes when you read in the Bible, he says, I give you eternal life. Eternal life lasts forever. The moment you believe in Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life or eternal life. The moment you trust Christ, you have an eternal relationship with God. You will go on for all eternity. God has conquered, Jesus Christ has conquered death. When he died on the cross, paid for sin and rose again, he conquered death. Every human being is going to exist forever. Some people are going to exist forever separated from God. That's called the second death. And some human beings are going to exist forever with Jesus Christ. That's called eternal life. And that's using it in the time aspect. We're going to always be 
Living forever with Christ. John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes him who sent me has, present tense, eternal life. The moment you believe, you have eternal life and it will go on for all time. Now, eternal life can also mean, according to the context, it can also mean a quality of life. And it has the idea that you're in connected in a fellowship relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, as I said a while ago, all people are going to live forever. But not all people are going to live forever with Christ. And those who live forever with Christ, they have different aspects of how we connect with Him. If you have served Him now, He says you're going to have eternal life. Not only are you going to live forever, but you're going to live forever connected with Me. In the book of Hebrews, the writer uses a certain term called metakoi. It's translated into English, partners with Christ. If you have served Jesus Christ here, you will be partners with Christ for all eternity. That means you'll have particular places of service and ministry for all eternity. Not only in the thousand-year reign of Christ, which we call the kingdom on this earth, but for all eternity you will be connected with Him. Now, if you haven't served Him, you got eternal life from the length end of it, but you don't have eternal life from the quality end of it because you're not going to be in partnership with him in the same way. Jesus talks about ruling and reigning with him. Not every Christian will rule and reign with Christ, only those who have served him. So if you say, I want my life to count for Christ, and you live for Christ here, when you stand before him, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, and you're going to be in a partnership with him for all eternity. That's why he says there's blessings now for serving him, abundant life, and in the future an eternal life, not just meaning time, but meaning quality. So... Blessings now as we live and serve in the future, eternal life, life forever in a relationship, a partnership with Jesus Christ. So here's my question. Where are you? I hope and pray that every one of you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior. It costs you nothing. It's a gift. Jesus died for you on the cross, paid for sin and rose again, and he offers to you eternal life. And it's not you being good or going to church or walking down an aisle or getting baptized or doing anything. It is you trusting in Christ alone for salvation. You take the gift. But my prayer then is that all of us who know Christ as Savior, that we will say to Him, I want my life to count for Christ. I want to live for Him. From this moment forward, I want to be a disciple of Christ. You'll never be the same. You will never be the same. You will understand the abundant life now. And in the future, when you stand before your Savior and He says, Well done, you'll be a partner with Him. And you'll have not only eternal life time-wise, you'll have eternal life quality-wise. I hope and pray that's what you do. Now, it's a big decision and it's a hard one because you give up your life. I trusted Christ when I was 19. I became a disciple when I was about 26. But let me tell you what. Even though when I was 26, I said, Lord, I give you my life. I want my life to count for you. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. Every morning, still every morning when I get up, I say, Lord, use me today for your glory because I belong to you. I've given you my life. You can do the same thing. You choose to live for him. And every day you say, 
Lord, use me for your glory. Well, what have we seen? Peter declares that he and his men are disciples. And Jesus said, if you're disciples and you live for me, you're going to be, have rewards and blessing now and in the future. There will be the future blessings and the eternal relationship and all of these things. So with that in mind, let me give you some applications, okay? Here's the first one. Understand the difference between salvation and discipleship. Salvation costs us nothing. It's a gift. Discipleship costs us our lives. Salvation is by faith. Discipleship is by faithfulness. So just realize that. People get it mixed up. And let me tell you, if you get it mixed up and you think they're the same, you've got works for salvation. You've got people trying to live a good life in order to get to heaven. That doesn't work. Make sure you got the distinction. Salvation is a gift, costs us nothing. You come by faith. Discipleship costs us our lives. We're faithful servants. That's the key. Number two, be a disciple of Jesus Christ. How do you do that? You offer your life. That Romans passage where you say, God, I give you my life. I offer my life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is your spiritual service of worship. Be a servant for Christ. Take the gifts, talents, and ability of your life and use them for His glory. Know this. Know that God rewards faithful service both now and in the future. There'll be the abundant life now and there'll be the eternal life quality-wise for all eternity. Finally, understand the term eternal life. It has an idea of both time and quality. In some passages, John 3.16, he's talking about time. In this passage, in Luke, because you can tell in this passage he's dealing with discipleship and, and following Christ and all of that, it's dealing with the quality of life. Serve now so that for all eternity you'll be a partner with Christ and you will rule and reign with Him. May we become disciples of Jesus Christ so that we will less now and be rewarded in the future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths. There's just so much here, Lord. I hope and pray that we all understand the difference between being, being salvation and discipleship, that salvation is a gift and costs us nothing, but discipleship costs us our lives. I hope we all understand that, Lord. Lord, I pray for each one in this room, all of us who have trusted in Christ, <coughs> I pray, Lord, that if they have not, many of them today will become disciples of Jesus Christ, that they'll offer their lives in service to live for you and know the blessings, the abundant life now and that, that wonderful blessings and rewards in the future as we have that eternal life with you in the quality of life. Lord, may we understand the term eternal life and how it fits. Lord, would you use us for your glory and I hope and pray that not only everyone in this room knows Jesus Christ as Savior, but they will become disciples of our Savior Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.